Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 15, Angels We Have Heard on High. Mary, what happened this week? Susan would rather leave Brandon's house at the crack of dawn than be seen by his roommates the morning after sleeping there, but Brandon's like, why, please cuddle with me. She explains that her mom walked in on her once making out with her boyfriend in like 8th grade and it was pretty awful. Sucks to be Susan because Cindy fucking Walsh is here and I'm pretty sure Susan didn't imagine meeting her boyfriend's mom while wrapped in a blanket burrito. So you might be wondering where Jim is. Cindy is too. He wanted to go on a holiday cruise and she wanted to come home for Christmas and they ended up arguing and going their separate ways. Brandon refuses to believe his parents will ever break up and encourages Cindy throughout the episode to try and make things work with Jim. And then Jim sends her an angel pin and it's all better. Which is that pin? Was it like, I was very confused as to whether it was a pin that you actually pin on your shirt or if it was like a charm for a necklace or something. I had the same question. I choose to believe it's like a brooch kind of a pin because if sure. it was a charm and he didn't give her the chain or the bracelet <laughs> or whatever, like I would be mad. Like I feel like it would be like you spent more shipping this from Hong Kong than you spend on the present and that's just silly. Like you should have just come. I still feel like he did pay for shipping, pay more for shipping because like that better be some crazy gold going on because it was like this big. And for, for the listeners, I'm not doing a very large size. You saw the episode. <laughs> like, it's tiny. Well, yeah. And like overnighting it to get there on Christmas, I felt very sorry for the delivery guy. I was like, why does this man have to work today? I know. But let's go back to the beginning of the episode. Yeah, because we get adorable Susan. They're both adorable. Like when she tries to sneak out and Brandon's like, you can't be going to buy presents because you bought all your presents in September. I was like, Susan would do that. Right? Like these are the little breadcrumbs about breadcrumbs about a person we need. You know, like these are the things I love learning about like that aren't backstories or superfluous comments. It's just sprinkled in like a nice little like, I don't know, glitter put on a character. <laughs> It's uh, the tinsel, if yeah, you will. Yeah, it's the tinsel, if you will. And speaking of tinsel, the entire downstairs, like they are basically all decorated except for the tree mm -hmm. because I guess they trimmed the tree on Christmas Eve. But Cindy Walsh comes in and she sees all of their decorations and she's got this look in her eyes. And when she first came in, I was very happy to see her. Oh, for sure. I mean – it kind of marveled me how easily, and I know it hasn't been that long, but it marveled me at how easily she slipped back into Cindy Walsh. You know, like the second I saw her, I was like, oh my God, it's Cindy. It's not Carol Potter. It's Cindy Walsh. Well, and like, you know, not to like skip around too much, although this episode did plenty of skipping around. While Cindy is back, she talks about gardening and going mm -hmm. to gardens a whole bunch. And she cooks a ton of food. And they comment on how she's been cooking all day. Like, quintessential Cindy Walsh. I was so happy. Me too. I mean, and also the gaze at which she looks 
you know, at the decorations that she's so proud of her baby boy, Brandon, for decorating the house. It just, it was such a sentimental look that she had on her face that it almost made me wonder if it was a little genuine for the actor to kind of get a little nostalgic for the house in general, you know? Oh my gosh. I choose to believe that I have not listened to like any interviews with Carol Potter, but I choose to believe that she truly is just mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love, I really, truly love that she goes up to Brandon's room and knocks on his door and just for some reason, rather than like hide behind <laughs> the bed or just stay in the bed, Susan gets up, completely burritos herself and just starts like scuttering across the floor. <laughs> like. Yeah, it was almost like she was thinking, if I cover myself com- up completely, she'll know someone's here, but, <laughs> but she it won't, won't be know me. who. Yeah, exactly. It won't be me. And I will say, though, like her being honest about being mortified, but then also saying that she was really happy to meet her also felt very Susan. And it felt very, like, relatable in this moment. Like, yeah. I have never had this experience happen to me, but if I did, I feel like it would be the same thing where I was just like beat red and be like, it's nice to meet you. Yes. And like the fact that she kind of acknowledged the situation rather than trying to be like, oh no, I I got here early this morning, (laughs) you know, like that. Yeah, it was, it was sweet. And I feel like Cindy would appreciate that. Yeah. Well, what Cindy does not appreciate is Jim. Like, when they're at – so I will say when they're at breakfast, which you know Cindy like immediately went downstairs and made so that Susan could have her privacy. Mm -hmm. And then Brandon comes down and like cuts straight to it and is like, tell me what's up with dad. Like, I know they haven't been gone for very long, but it just felt so good to have Cindy back in this kitchen and Brandon just be like, mom, just tell me what's up. Yeah, it really did. And it also felt just, I don't know. I mean, we always knew the Walshes to be pretty straightforward and like open about talking about things. I mean, sometimes there would be uncomfortable things, but I think back to like the euphoria episode and, you know, the even all the drama with Dylan, like how Dylan, Cindy let Dylan stay in, you know, their house and like all this kind of stuff. It was like, they would regularly have these conversations that not a normal, and I say normal loosely family would have, you know, like they kind of broached the subjects that other families didn't Mm -hmm. because they didn't even talk to each other. You know, it was like this, they're trying to model a quintessential Midwestern family who has family dinners and has tough and sweet conversations. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would struggle to have this conversation with my 100%. parents. Yeah, same. But like, yeah, Brandon is being a very mature adult about all of this. And I mean, like, when Cindy says that, she and Jim aren't doing well and like she thinks he's the problem and she has no life and you can only go to the garden so many times, blah, blah, blah. Did you get like, we already went through this in season one vibes? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, probably, yeah, really early on, like, 
you know, because I think Cindy, before she was able to like recycle and garden and <laughs> go back to school and all of that, you know, that kind of answers our question that we had. Like, I wonder if she transferred her credits, you know, to a school in Hong Kong. Like, it doesn't sound like she did. No. But yeah, it's like Cindy's almost having like an identity crisis because she has been this stay at home mom um, and also kind of hobbyist. Or at least needs to have a hobby, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just feels like, I swear, in the first couple episodes, she was like, I have no friends. I don't have anything to do. I'm just sitting here. It was a mistake for us to move here. And that's right. when Jim, um, oh my gosh, I don't remember the name of- Anna? Yes. That's when Jim hired her to be like, oh, now you have someone to talk to during the day. Like, it feels like this is exactly what Jim did this time where he was like, I got us tickets to go on a cruise with another couple so you have mm -hmm. someone to talk to. Sure. And she was just like, I don't want that. Yeah. I mean, it does sound a little bit like that. It also sounds a little bit like Jim is going a little overboard. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe this time he's like putting it on a little too thick here. Like for whatever reason, just fallen head over heels for Hong Kong and all of his work pals and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it really just sounds like Cindy always needs to be busy because if she's not, she starts like overthinking and getting inside her head and, and that, which is totally understandable. It just, mm -hmm. it, it, she needs to talk to Jim about it, not fly to LA or Beverly Hills with no Jim and threaten divorce to Brandon. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable to me that she's just like showed up to Brandon and unloaded all of their problems. Mm -hmm. Right. I do think that, you know, Jim is probably very gung-ho and like, I don't know. I get this feeling that Cindy agreed to go to Hong Kong with him because it was a really good move for him and she's trying to do all of these things. And yeah, like he's probably like, oh, I just got a promotion. I got to work late to prove myself. I got to right. do this and this and this. So like, I do think there are faults on both sides of things. But yeah, it's it's really a lot to come home and just be like, I don't know where your father is. Yeah. And again, like we know Brandon is an adult now. Like he's, tw if he's not 21, he's almost 21. So yeah, you can start to handle things a little better the older you get, but there's still a delineation between parent and kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and because Brandon hasn't, he's not married yet. You know, he doesn't have kids yet. I think there's still some of that time where, no, you probably just don't like you can talk to your kids about it and be open and honest. But I think there's a there's a line between just like laying it on or trying to get him to solve your problems or not even just solve your problems, but like kind of detail a lot of stuff. You know, I just think there is a line like, of course, you want honesty. But I mean, there are still things I have no idea about my parents when they were married and throughout the divorce and they got divorced like, God, it's been. I don't even know how how old am I? <laughs> it's been like <laughs> 17 years or something like no, it's been longer than that. It's been like 22 years or something. You know? Like it's just some things I'll never know. And I think that's you know, kind of appropriate. Like if you wanted to know you could ask, but I don't think you know, your mom should show up in your doorstep and be like I told your father not to call right. on Christmas. Right. By the right. way. Exactly. I mean, you, clearly it's affected Brandon, right? Because the next yeah. time we see him, he's talking to David and Val about it. 
And now David doesn't help things because he, of course, has been through his parents' divorce. And so he jumps to that conclusion, even though nobody's actually said, oh, we're getting a divorce, right? But Brandon is kind of at the point where he's spiraling. He's also thinking that his mom's not telling him everything, which fair, because again, Mm -hmm. she's the parent, he's the kid. But it's different because he wants to know. He needs to know for his own knowledge and it, it's also something that's interesting that we're only getting Cindy's side of things mm-hmm. and not Jim's. Yeah, it was – so at this point when Nat comes over and basically is like, I'll talk to Cindy for you and try and get more of the story, I was kind of really hoping to see that conversation. Mm-hmm. Like I can really appreciate what we did see where like he went to go leave and, you know, took her to midnight mass with him. Like I can appreciate that, but – I do feel like there probably should have been some of the story that we get from Cindy talking to another adult and especially Nat, who's like a surrogate family member versus just talking to Brandon because I don't know. I'm definitely coming at it from a kid point of view. Exactly. In this one. But like, yeah, when Cindy shows up and is like, I don't know where your father is and I told him not to call and this and this and this. And then she's just like, I want to have a nice Christmas with you. So, like, don't be that way. Yeah. She she literally says, I know this is hard for you, but it's Christmas. And, like, angry child me wants him to just be <laughs> – like, I would have been – I think he would have been fully justified to go full Brandon and be like, well, Christmas sucks. Yeah. Well, and and let's be real, that would be a very visceral, very real reaction to have, right? Because mm-hmm. he's already, you can tell he's bubbling, you know, and he's already been spiraling. Like, he's trying to say, like, fix it. Like, and he's still got kind of the kid naivete that says, well, you love him. He loves you. Why isn't that enough? He doesn't explicitly say it, but he basically says, like, if you still love him, you have to try, you know? And, and I think... I think to some extent, and again, coming from a kid perspective, to some extent, I think that's true. I think Mm -hmm. if you do love somebody, then obviously there's something worth fighting for. And there's Mm -hmm. some effort that you would feel comfortable putting in. Now, is it enough? And is it all that needs to be there? Absolutely not. Like, we know that there's circumstances that go beyond love, right? But yeah, I just, I, I agree. I think Brandon, I think Jason Priestley could have taken it up a notch and I wouldn't have been mad. Not even a little bit. And, like, yeah, just especially with the way that these things are being presented to him. Like, it's not – Yeah. It's coming out because his mom just showed up on his doorstep. True. And, I mean, I guess the only thing positive I would have to say about that particular conversation that they have is that Cindy doesn't try to – I guess like I know she says she says that she told Jim not to call but then she also says that Brandon shouldn't blame him and if he wants to blame anybody it should be her right she's kind of playing the martyr here Mm -hmm. but I appreciate that because in so many times and so many relationships is each one is very quick to hate on the other to the kid and I'm just really glad that didn't happen so I do appreciate Cindy kind of taking not taking that angle. Yeah. Well, and she really takes that angle with everybody technically. You know, Mm -hmm. when we see the like tree trimming party that night and she's talking with Val, 
it's a very odd conversation where they're like watching Brandon with Susan and they're like, oh yeah, men always think everything's about them. And I was like, are you looking at Brandon and saying that he thinks that this potential divorce is about him? Like, I don't understand what that was. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm I'm trying to put it in their perspective, but I guess my counter to that would be like, of course he's going to think it's about him. Like a lot of times it's, it's very common for kids to think that the reason their parents are getting divorced is them. Now, granted, you know, Brandon's grown uh, you know, they don't live in the same continent anymore. But at the same time, like, of course, Brandon's only going to be thinking of things in, like, that relate to him at this moment. Um, but yeah, it was just weird. I agree. It was a little weird for her to be saying, or Val to be saying that to Cindy, just to get Cindy to say, yeah, Jim keeps asking, what is he doing wrong? And Cindy wants to say it's not about him. Yeah. And... To an extent, I feel like if Jim is trying to ask you those questions and Cindy cannot respond to the questions and make him understand, like, Cindy, as a woman in grad school for, like, child psychology, right, probably should be like, we should have a third party to facilitate the conversation. Like, let's let's add some steps here before I book a last-minute flight from Hong Kong to L.A. Also... Her saying that, like, Brandon thinks it's all about him. You did say that you and Jim fought because Jim wanted to go on a cruise and you wanted to come home to see Brandon. So, like, yeah. if my mom said that to me, I'd be like, why does my dad not want to see me? Mm-hmm. Like, again, that's, like, angry kid brain, and I totally understand it, but that's where my brain jumps to. No, for sure. No, I, w- I, would, I would do the same thing. I think – also, what's important here is the fact that no actual decisions have been made, mm-hmm. right? Like, no papers have been drawn, no attorneys have been sought after. So I feel like there's a lot of, for lack of a better term, hullabaloo for no actual decision made. So, to, again, to pile it all on Brandon just seems premature in, in, in addition to the other ways that we've talked about it being just a lot for him. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just seems like, hang on, you can just say that like you and dad had different plans or your dad or Jim couldn't get out of this holiday cruise with his boss because he's still trying to make an excellent impression since mm-hmm. they only moved there a short time ago. Right. Like there's as a mom who wants to protect their, her kid, you can figure out a way to say all that without jumping to, hey, guess what? We're on the rocks, you know? Yeah. And, like, I guess now that we're saying it, it kind of makes me th- realize, like, since Cindy feels so alone in Hong Kong, she probably doesn't have anybody to talk about this stuff to. So the second True. that Brandon asked the question, you know, it probably just, like, tumbled all out of her mouth. That's true. That's but again – that's why Nat could have been there. Yeah. And, and she even says after Midnight Mass that church made her realize she can make it on her own. And I'm sitting here like, why didn't Nat and Cindy go get coffee after Midnight Mass and talk about this and let us watch it? I do wonder, like, 
is there a deleted scene of that? Because I agree. I would love to see it. It would be really interesting, but we just keep getting Brandon and Cindy. And while, you know, they're pretty decent conversations, it just like, it makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm imagining me and my mom having this conversation. And if it got to a point where it's Christmas morning and she has put walnuts and an orange and an expensive (laughs) watch in my stocking and then I have to convince her not to leave my father. Like, that's a weird Christmas. It is a weird Christmas. I don't know that that would end up being the weirdest Christmas I've ever had, but it would certainly (laughs) be up there. I mean, I I do. And now I, I feel bad for not looking it up beforehand. Is walnuts and orange a Walsh thing or is it like an actual tradition? I always got an orange in my stocking. Really? Yeah, because okay. it fits perfectly in the toe, and then you just put everything else on top of it, and See, it fills it out really nice. Huh. I Like, John's family, so because there's so many of us in John's family and everyone's married and adults, we all share a stocking. Like so, a couple's stocking? Yeah. Like, okay. I think they still have, like, the stocking says John on it, but it's for both of us, so it's just filled with, like, candy, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Maybe like a $10 gift card to something. But yeah, I've never gotten healthy foods in my stocking. And now I just want to be like, Mom, I have an addiction to M&M's. Thanks. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I've always gotten a – I've gotten chapstick for days. That's how I accumulate my chapstick Ooh. collection. Um, I get a pair of socks like Brandon did. I usually get like – some scratchers, some lottery scratchers. Okay. That's common. That. Um, past couple of years has been things like hand sanitizer, <laughs> things like that. But yeah, it's usually stuff, just like kind of an odd assortment of things that you really don't think to buy for yourself, but mm-hmm. you basically replenish on Christmas. And And we do sometimes get candy, but I think I told my mom once upon a time, like, you're wasting your money on me because I just, I don't have a sweet tooth. And Nate's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> He's like, Hold the uh, phone. fill it with lemon heads to the top. Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, walnuts. I don't get the walnuts. I think it's just like a Christmas thing to have like nuts around because nutcrackers, you know? Sure. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I would always get an orange and like one of those like big candy canes that's full of M&Ms. Oh, Yeah. Like Hershey's Kisses, like once the peppermint ones came out, my mom just mm. throws a million of them at me because I inhale them. Um, <laughs> They're so good. And like just like something little, like I used to get my toothbrushes in my Christmas nice. stocking. I'm pretty sure I got my first thing of deodorant in my Christmas stocking. That's amazing. <laughs> and one year I got a Tamagotchi, that was the best year ever. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. John just found out today there are Star Wars Tamagotchis, so you raise like an R2-D2. What? I think they have that at Target, actually. I was looking the other day because they have a Gen 1 Tamagotchi for like 15 bucks. I'm going to get it. It's like blue gingham. It's adorable. Oh, my Lord. I can't wait to kill it and ignore it like my Animal Crossing Village and all of the other video games. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, yeah, that watch, though. You know what it looks nice. kind of like? And I feel so like millennial saying this, but 
a few years ago it's been a while now but like do you guys remember when you could buy those like it almost looked like the case that the watch was in but it was full of like apple accessories or like knockoff apple accessories so it would be like you could it's a place where you can put your ipod and like here's like the the little clippy like you could clip it to your your pants what am i trying to say like it was like a little utility case for things like that and that's what it made me think of or or like a lock pick like accessory little case (laughs) man that really is like very millennial of us that you're like i see this nice watch and i immediately (laughs) think apple watch i think digital (laughs) also a question about this watch do you think Cindy picked it out for him and only Cindy and brought it to him or do you think Jim was involved in this because I'm just thinking like this was a very last minute trip for Cindy Mm -hmm. so if they were actually going to like plan out and send presents to Brandon and Brenda who does not get a single mention in this entire episode and I feel really bad for her wild (laughs) like do you think this was planned or that Cindy got home and was just like shit I gotta go get a present (laughs) I don't know I could see it being planned you know because they were gonna ship well but at the same time it's like if they were planning on shipping the presents they would have had to have done so already right that's what I'm thinking like even before because the flight I imagine is what like 18 hours maybe not it's gotta be something like that yeah, but in the teens, you would think. And so then you take into consideration, like, how fast things get shipped. And yeah, that's like day and a half right there just in travel. Yeah, like, Cindy definitely probably left Hong Kong, like, let's say three days before Christmas, arrives in L.A. two days before Christmas. Or like, yeah, something like that. So they probably should have already sent it because then you also have to think of like holiday shipping. This is a very long and boring (laughs) tangent about shipping times. (laughs) Basically, my point is I think they picked it out beforehand, but Cindy knew she was coming. And she took the credit? Yes. Like, I'm just saying she did not say like, that's also from your father. True. But it's okay because Jim Walsh did send a present and he did have to ship it. And it's that little angel pin. And between Brandon like bargaining with Cindy that they won't be in Hong Kong forever and you've been together for 22 years. And then him sending this pin and it just says like, I love you, my angel, come home soon. She's like, I will. (laughs) Done. I mean, she was saying, like, she didn't even know that Jim loved her anymore. I'm like, that's a serious accusation. But all it took was, like, one I love you in a card. And she's convinced. I I don't know. Why does all of this just feel like the 17-year itch, but 22 and in Hong Kong? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> they should have learned by now. Just end the day with, I love you, good night. Makes a difference. I mean, I'm happy, you know, Jim and Cindy are staying together, of course. Mm-hmm. It was well, just a weird, it was just a weird reason for Cindy to come visit on Christmas. I 
this much hope, and that's a this size thing, um, <laughs> referencing Caitlin's earlier. It's the same size. Um, <laughs> that Jim flew to go see Brenda, and that immediately Ooh. she was like, no, get out. You're being stupid. Go home and call mom. Dude, that would totally happen. It would, and that's what I choose to believe now. I love that. I love that so much. And I really want to know who met Jim bundled up as a blanket burrito. I have a hope in my heart, but I won't say it out loud. Why? Because you don't want to jinx it? Because I know exactly who you're thinking. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. It could be Reek. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, director from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, my God. What if it was Stuart? Stuart. Stuart. (laughs) He came and apologized for not breaking the window of his car in the (laughs) desert, and she was just, like, done. Oh, my God. Like mother, like daughter. I mean, yeah, it was a really bizarre reason for her to come back. It wrapped up in, like, 24 hours, which – like, when you actually sit down and think of the timeline of this episode, it is short. Yeah. I will say, I love at the end when Cindy has to go get in the cab and she, like, wants to stop and take one last look at the house and is just like, I realize now that home is where your father is. Because, like, that that's actually love. Like, my home is where my person is. Like, that to me is one of the most romantic things that you can say to somebody in the most like heartwarming like to call somebody your home mm-hmm. like because think about it like a house really is a materialistic thing I know obviously we all have houses or shelter of some sort but when you talk about a house versus a home that's a state of being right like instead of an actual materialistic thing so if you're saying to somebody that they're your home think of all that embodies that it's like complete comfort it's safety it's security, it's love, it's like cozy. And I just, I think that is one of the most loving things that you can say to somebody. Like when people do it just like this, like Cindy Walsh does, when people do it in proposals, when people do it in vows, uh, it just gets me every time. Mm-hmm. I could go on I, and on, but I won't. <laughs> no, I loved it. Like this whole episode, like all of my notes are talking about like you shouldn't be talking to Brandon about this. Brandon shouldn't have to be bargaining with his mother to save her marriage. And then she gets to the end of it and I was like, this is why like David and Nat and Brandon, all of these people are like, if anyone can do it, it's going to be Jim and Cindy because Cindy said the thing. That's true. That's a good point. So yeah, (laughs) it's a weird way to bring Cindy back, but I guess at least (laughs) in the end it worked out. Yes, agreed. Um, I think the only other like very specific to this group of people thing I want to mention is when they're trimming the tree and Susan brings up Jonathan. Oh. That makes me think we're going to meet Jonathan. Oh, I would love to. Like I hope he spells it with an H. Like J O H N. Yes. Yeah. With an Ethan at the end. (laughs) So, totally random sidebar. Multiple people this week have asked John, because he's Jonathan, if it's Jonathan or Jonathan. Jonathan. It's the Jonathan. (laughs) 
who spells it Jonathan? I have to know. Like, I think there's an athlete that does, but now I can't remember who it is. Like, multiple times this has come up, and you know, he goes by John, so he actually had to look at his credit card to make sure he knew how to spell his own <laughs> name once they asked. But, like, I've never met a Jonathan, and now I have to know. Jonathan. Which, to be fair, every time Susan brought up Jonathan, I just wrote Jonathan. I did not look at the subtitles to see how it's spelled, so this may be a Jonathan coming into our lives. We're about to have a Jonathan. Please let um, it be with an H and an O, because oh I can't God. think of a weirder spelling of Jonathan. Right? Oh my gosh, I would love it so much. Jonathan, but make it a hoe. <laughs> Please. So there was also one extra thing I wanted to say about this group of people. It's Brandon and Susan, and I'm trying to find it in my notes, and I keep, like, overlooking it. Oh, here it is. I found it. Okay. So it was during – it was, like, at the end of the trimming the tree little party thing, and just their little exchange just with Susan saying, like, oh, do you want to stay at my place? And he just says that he wants – he thinks he's just stay at home with his mom, and they're just being so sweet. And then Brandon's little, okay, well, call me when you get home so I know you made it safe. Like, mm, that's, like, another, like, really romantic thing you can say to me, even if it's just my friends. Like, if you tell me to tell you when I get home, that implies, like, you are concerned for my safety and you want to know that I am wherever I need to be safely. And I just love this relationship. And as much as I want to meet Jonathan – I don't because I don't want anything to break up Bruzen. I need endgame Bruzen, and I'm not afraid to say it. Honestly, like, I would not be upset meeting Jonathan if, like, him coming into this picture, like, gives Brandon this moment of discomfort, but then Susan, like, literally immediately is like, I love you, you're my Ugh. person, et cetera. It's like... It would make me You're so happy. You're my home. Uh, <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> like, because seriously, bruising, I love it. I, I'm not, I can't even talk about the idea that anything would come between them. I need to know if Emma Caulfield and Jason Priestley stayed friends after this because their chemistry is just so real. Like, I just, it's. It's the kind of chemistry that you see between actors that is, like, very effortless. Like, you know when they walk onto a scene or walk onto a set to do a scene that they can almost, like, anticipate what the other person's going to do, right? There's only, like – I mean, people say in interviews sometimes when they have this kind of chemistry with a person where it's just effortless and you don't have to try. You just are. And I just – this just feels like it. I, I need to ask – Jason Priestley, I need to ask Emma Caulfield, was this your most, like – like most chemistry between you and another partner. I need to know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Jason Priestley or Emma Caulfield roles other than Buffy, but that's something. <laughs> but like, yeah, this is good. Like this right? is really good. It's good. Okay. Okay, Mary. What else happened this week? Steve's stupid boss mislabels his stupid presents for his niece and mistress before he has Steve deliver them. Russ shows up at the Christmas party his son is attending to pull him outside and yell at him for blaming everyone else for his mistakes. 
Steve's like, fuck you, you're not my real dad, Merry Christmas. He pretty much immediately feels bad about it, though, and meets his dad at the Peach Pit the next day to apologize, where Rush is like, I love you, I am your real dad, and here's some proof, Merry Christmas. Also, Claire is just the best through all of this, by the way, we'll talk about it. Claire is also a very perfect girlfriend right now. Like, when when Steve shows up at the country club, presumably, and Rush is just like, volunteered you for this, didn't ask, don't care, bye. Also, don't Ugh. fuck it up. And then, like, I guess you have to assume that Steve's plans were with Claire because then she just spends the day with him delivering presents. Which, I gotta be honest with you, I think I would do that. Like, not because, I mean, I am a little codependent at times, but <laughs> not just because of that, but also because, like, this is a new relationship for them, too. So I feel like Claire is probably, like, a little butterflies in the stomach and just a little giddy to be with him. So if this were me in this relationship, I would be like, yes, any excuse to spend time with you, I'll do it, right? Like, it doesn't matter what it is, but I just love how, yeah, Claire's just like, all right, I guess that's what we're doing, you know, and just moves on. Well, and, like, there's also, yeah, um, an emotional, like, I don't know, not codependent necessarily. I don't know if I know the right word for it, but, like, Steve is clearly upset by what his dad does, mm -hmm. and Claire goes with him. They talk about it in the car. Like, you know, she tries to make light of the situation later on when they give the mistress the easy bake oven, which mm. I even commented in my notes was weird mm. and did not register that like, that's probably not her present. Same. I was like, that's an interesting gift to give somebody in a robe. Like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even put together it was his mistress. <laughs> I didn't want to assume anything. I wrote a lady in a silk nightgown. <laughs> oh, no, I was like, this is definitely his mistress and maybe she's just like very dumb and he doesn't trust her around an actual oven so she yeah. can only use a light bulb. No, but same. Like not that she was the mistress, but I was like, she seems like kind of actually on board with this. So either she is a kid who would like this or she's just really excited about getting an easy bake oven, which same, those things were awesome. <laughs> well, and yeah, that was kind of my other thing was like, that man is, like, a grown man, and mm. this woman is, like, she's an adult, but she looks, like, 20, 25 years younger than him. Yeah. So, like, he might literally just be, like, I don't know what the youth like right now. I keep seeing the Easy Bake Oven. It's all the rage. <laughs> Which, to be fair, literally, like, we are probably older than this woman, but we're sitting here, like, yeah, I would take an Easy Bake Oven in a heartbeat. I totally would. And honestly, like, I'm surprised – well, because Nate's not that – cruel but I'm surprised he hasn't bought me an easy bake oven before because that's about the extent I should be around appliances <laughs> I mean an easy bake oven is perfect if you just want like one very small mostly cooked brownie right which you know Nate would be super thrilled with right <laughs> like yeah I'm literally sitting here like I could put it in my bedroom and then I don't have to get up Ooh. to go get my snacks yes to be honest, I've never had a blondie that was as good as the one that came out of my Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> That's amazing. God, I'm trying to remember what all I made in that thing. Definitely the brownie, like the all chocolate brownie yeah. for sure. For sure. Oh, but man. I, 
like I honestly think that might be it. I feel like my parents got it for me and then we never like re-upped the ingredients. Right. It's like once you run out of the packets, you're just done. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, oh, you wanted to do this again? What? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, also like that whole scene of them walking toward the apartment door, Claire's just like eating cookies out of a tin. And I for sure thought that she was just like about to like, you know, finish eating close cookies the right before they knocked on the door, close the tin and be like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. I wish that's what happened. Just like, yeah, right? eat the top layer of cookies and like pull out the parchment paper. So it's like, it was never there. Exactly. And I still say Kathleen Robertson's face acting is the most entertaining. I could watch an entire episode just focused on her. It's really good. It's like, just so funny. It's so great. I mean, like, yeah, the next scene of them sitting in the car and talking, like, just honestly watching them in the car is more interesting than watching other people in the car. Like, yeah. conversations that Brandon has had in the car with people have been interesting, but watching Steve and Claire talk yeah, it's is just, more interesting. It's so interesting, too, because I think we were a little skeptical. Like, we were we were skeptical about Claire and Steve, and, you know, it's – the more we're with them, the more I get it. Like, Claire weirdly likes to talk about a lot of stuff. Steve is opening up to her, so she's probably loving this. And Steve is just a very bubbly, kind of, like, out there kind of guy. He's down for whatever, you know? So it's, like, outside of the whole school thing, I think their personalities weirdly match up. The only thing that was weird in this, like, the driving scene is Steve gets a little vulnerable talking about Rush, talking about how he just like constantly puts him down and then reveals to Claire that he's adopted and she like doesn't believe him. Yeah, that was a weird reaction to that. It just felt not Claire up to this point unless she was just truly like, wait, are you kidding? You know? Yeah, I mean... I guess I could believe that part of it is, like, she hasn't really seen Steve, like, this level of vulner vulnerable. Yeah. At least we haven't seen her see Steve like this. True. So maybe that's what happened. I mean, she does, like, rein it back in pretty fast. But, yeah, that moment where she's just like, what? No, you're not. She so honestly probably, like, just had foot and mouth. You know, like she just had a reaction, just a gut reaction, and then was like, wait, wait, let me back this up. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I've done that. Like, I've had not the reaction somebody expects, and I'm like, hang on, what'd you say? You know, almost like you didn't fully process it the first time. Mm -hmm. So. It was also when they go to the next place and they give the child, like this guy's niece, a present, and then they close the door and Claire asks if Steve's been naughty or nice. It was like, you just like talk to an 11 year old <laughs> don't like wait till you're in the car to get like dirty about it <laughs> it was I don't know the whole thing was weird to me and they get like I think the next time we see them she's talking about how like she's got a present for him and there's mistletoe in her garter belt <laughs> which have we confirmed if they've had sex yet? Yeah, because they had sex on drugs. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they've crossed that line. Okay. Because at first I'm thinking like, wait, have they not yet? And she's saying this and now Steve is like obviously affected, but he's not trying to get her into a bedroom now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's really weird. Like that's just that moment and then it cuts away and then rushes at the door. And I don't know, he like makes real nice with Cindy and like has a total face on and goes to talk to Steve and they go out in the backyard and Rush explodes. Mm -hmm. He explains very loudly that Steve lost the job at the at the talent firm and that he mixed up those presents and that it was his mistress not or, you know, swapped the presents to his mistress and his niece. Mm-hmm. And so now his wife knows about the mistress. It's going to cost him all this money in presumably a divorce or mm-hmm. at least like presents to make up for this. And Steve keeps insisting that he didn't screw up, that somebody else put the wrong labels on the wrong ple- presents and it wasn't his fault. And Rush is like, well, I don't believe you. And this is just like that fire that you said you didn't cause. Which to and- be fair, he did cause that fire. He totally caused the fire. But, like, again, it is Christmas Eve, and Rush just comes to scream at him and says he's ashamed to call Steve his son. Yeah, like, it was horrible. Like, let's be very honest here. Rush's behavior towards Steve was absolutely horrible. Even if he was right about Steve starting the fire, one thing does not equal all others, right? Like, just because Steve did that one thing doesn't mean he's now always on the hook for every single thing. And props to Steve for being like, dude, somebody else wrote those addresses. I didn't. So it is not my fault. Like, he is insistent upon that. And I just feel so bad because now it it makes me think of all the times that, like, you know, it's very easy for a kid to apologize to a parent, but very difficult for a parent to apologize to a kid. Mm-hmm. And I just I was really afraid in this moment that Steve was going to be a really poorly affected by this, rightfully so. But then B, Rush was never going to apologize to him and it would continue to make Steve feel guilty for what he said, even though Rush was the one antagonizing him. Which honestly, like, kind of really is what happened. Like, you know, Steve throws the adoption back in Rush's face and is like, I'm glad you're not my dad. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, gets pretty upset immediately. And he's depressed about Christmas and he and Claire have to talk. And Claire is like, well, just apologize to your dad. And yeah, I'm sitting over here like, but Rush needs to apologize to Steve too. Like it feels exactly. like Steve messes up a lot. But he's always the one that's apologizing to his dad. And like Mm -hmm. as much as I still think Steve has some serious faults and he really pisses me off, when you see the way that Rush treats him consistently, like Rush has never really been a good dad to Steve that we've seen. It's always been like reactive that he's a good dad. It doesn't surprise me that Steve kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Steve is Jamie Tart. Oh, my God. Like, if you guys have watched Ted Lasso and you've seen, at very minimum, season one all the way through, then you see what a grade-A asshole Jamie's dad is to him. 
about everything, especially soccer. And then we see what Jamie is now. Jamie has had a lot of growth. But, yeah, it's like you said. It's no wonder Steve kind of goes through these ups and downs. And he makes the same mistakes over and over and expects different things out of people than what he probably should. You know, Mm because he has this horrible example. Yeah. I mean, you know, building on the Jamie Tart analogy, like, Rush was screaming at somebody else's house at Steve. He has talked shit about Steve to other people with Steve and his friends in the room mm-hmm. multiple times. Yeah. Like, ugh. I, I do hope that, you know, the, everything that happens in the rest of this episode and, like, future stuff, like, I hope Steve can grow from this. Like, Oh, same. I don't know, you know, what this is going to do to him to have had another business venture in his life fail so extravagantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I hope like this could possibly be a turning point with him, you know, halfway through the show and he stops getting arrested for breaking into pre- professor's offices and starting fires that could kill people and cheating on tests, cheating on girls. <laughs> we could keep going. But it's not worth it because the next morning, Steve goes to the peach pit to apologize to Rush and Rush says that he deserves it and then shows him adoption papers that shows that he is Steve's biological father, which blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Big bomb has dropped, y'all, because we've known the Steve adoption story since season one, right? Like, we've we found out Steve was adopted at the spring dance and... Then, you know, a couple years later, a couple seasons later, we found out that Steve's mom um, worked at a diner that was owned by her father and ended up getting in a car accident. And so Steve never got to meet her. But we never got answers as to who Steve's biological dad is. Well, folks, here we go. Not to mention, Rush had an affair with a teenager while he was married to Samantha. And she still doesn't even know. Which I don't understand because there are legal documents that show that Rush is the biological father. Right. So I don't I understand guess, how he hid that. Well, and I don't understand how it how it really works either because, yeah, Samantha would have had to have been involved in the legal proceedings. But, like, how... I mean, I guess so he says that he bought his own baby, mm-hmm. which kind of tells me that, you know, teenage waitress working at her dad's diner, they probably like, you know, Rush finds out that she's pregnant and has the baby. You know, he mentions that he and Samantha wanted to adopt. I guess he just threw a big enough number at her that as a teenager, like she probably felt like this was the best choice. I mean, yeah, it's like similar to, I'm going to bring it back to my Arrowverse because why not, how Oliver's mom paid off, um, crap, was her name Samantha? Maybe was it also Samantha? (laughs) I don't remember. But Um, William's mom? Yeah, William's mom to basically never tell Oliver that he exists. It's just, it's wild. And- I'm not saying that there's, like, enough storylines in television to make me believe that this actually happens, but, like, I actually believe that this stuff happens. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's just I, wild to me. It's wild. And it's that like idea that these people are just so rich that like mm-hmm. they feel like they can do it. They have the balls to actually present that check to somebody and then they do it and then they don't treat the kid very well. That's the thing for me is like you chose to have your son and keep him and lie to your wife. So as a result, you're going to treat him like absolute crap. And like Steve's reaction in this moment, Mm. like really confirms how Rush has made him feel. Yeah. You know, he says like, do you know what it's been like for me? Do you know what it's like to cry yourself to sleep every night? God. You let me think I was abandoned all this time. And then on top of that, like Rush asked Steve to keep this huge secret from his own mother. Which is just like, I hate to put it this way, but like Samantha and Rush have been divorced for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Samantha could have a worse opinion of Rush at this point. Right. I just don't think it can really get worse. So, like, don't ask him to lie to his mother. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, like, it's this whole thing. Like, he's like, don't let Samantha know. But he's like, I bought you everything you could ever want, which tells me that, like, Rush does not understand how to be a dad. He can only think in terms of money. And then he says that he loves Steve and he always has and he's proud of him. And like Rush is the worst. This is such emotional manipulation and whiplash and like poor Steve. Yeah, it it just broke my heart. Like for Steve, you know, it's I mean, props to Ian Ziering. I thought he presented this scene with with just such like genuine emotion. Um it was brilliantly done and story-wise for Rush to just say all this crap to Steve and then just leave. Like like you said, emotional whiplash. This is what's happened. Don't tell your mother I love you. Bye. Yeah. It's just like, too much. It's too much. It's too much. And then the next time we see Steve and he's in like such a happy mood, I thought he was broken like I was like is Steve high like did he Mm -hmm. do something to try and cope with this because it makes no sense to me that he has processed all of this is in such a better mood has all this fun with his friends goes back to the exact spot that his father told him all of this stuff and is like surprise guys Rush is really my dad iced tea for everyone yeah yeah it I wonder like I don't know. It's just hard to say if, again, maybe there's a deleted scene, you know, that we didn't see that kind of connects these dots a bit. Because, um, yeah, it just he was he was so, so down in the peach mm-hmm. pit, so down, like to the point where Rush is like, don't like this could break your mother's heart. And Steve's like, what about my heart? And yeah. he's like slumped over crying. Like then to go to just this like totally... 180 I don't know it was just yeah it felt weird it was really weird and then that night they have Christmas at the Walsh house and Rush is invited and toasts to fathers and sons and Steve says he loves him yeah and then tells Claire like 
you know, Claire and Steve have talked about how like the Christmas curse is over and his luck has changed and like they're really cute together. Mm -hmm. But I want to sit here and be like, have you actually processed what happened with your dad or are you just happy to like have this answer? Right. I think that's what it is. I think it's the answer more so than the reality of it. Which it makes me feel honestly even worse for Steve. Yeah. That like it feels like he's just like clinging to the concrete parts of things because Exactly. Honestly, emotionally, I don't know that he can handle the rest of it. I think that's what it is too. It's like he just he literally just can't handle it. I don't know that I could if I were him. No. You know. I I feel very lucky that like my life has been relatively blessed and I don't have people dropping bombs on me like this. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I, I don't know how I would handle it. Like I know like emotionally when people say things to me that I can't hear, I need to like get up and physically remove myself from that space and like mm. I have to go process it separately. Like yeah, the idea that Steve has been able to process this in this short amount of time while being around people is truly foreign to me. I think it's got to be a defense mechanism too. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't let this affect me. Yeah. You know, this has to be a good thing. It can't linger. Which I guess could also be really emotionally mature of him. I don't know. I have no read on what's happening here because like I feel like we haven't seen enough growth in Steve for me to feel like he's actually okay right now. Well, and I just kind of hope it continues a little bit. Like we get a little bit more insight into his processing, maybe more of their relationship. Maybe this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and actually gives Rush the opportunity to be a better father. You know, who knows? I I just want to see it. I would love it. Yeah. And I mean, if we don't see it, I, I might rage. I might, we might be like 15 episodes from now and I'll be like, you know who we haven't seen in a while? Rush Sanders. <laughs> You're going to be like, Ariel, Brandon just got married. I'll yeah. be like, I don't care. He just won a Pulitzer. <laughs> that will happen. Mm-hmm. Mary, what else happened this week? Colin's portrait of Val is, quote, wonderful, end quote. Colin gets a visit from his drug dealer while Val is still at his apartment. After she sees through Colin's awful it's-for-a-friend excuse, Colin admits he bought a gram for the holidays. He doesn't drink, so this is his thing or whatever. He asks Val to keep this info to herself because Kelly would not approve. Colin is high energy and friendly to the point where David notices he's high as fuck and points it out to Val. Val, who technically never said she wouldn't tell, points it out to Kelly the next day. The white boy confidence that Colin has to do a drug deal in front of Val (laughs) and then say don't tell anyone knowing who Val is blows my mind. And also that he specifically said, don't tell Kelly. Like, girl, you do not know who you is telling this to. Like, she this, li- she just weaseled a, 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 this portrait away from your girlfriend because it was her. Right. I, I don't know how many times we can say this on this podcast and it, like, not sink into these characters. <laughs> is Val cannot help herself she can't she loves it she gets fueled by it she's like the opposite of an energy vampire but not an actual vampire she just like feeds she's like a drama vampire but specific to kelly like she has imprinted on kelly 
And she has decided this is the person by whom I will create drama and feed on drama. Which, honestly, not a bad person to pick. True. Like, if only because we have also said this a ton of times, that it is so much fun to watch them go back and forth. Totally. Like, okay, I got to say, I loved Kelly this episode. And I feel like this is the Kelly that I have missed. Because, like, we'll get there. We haven't gotten there yet. Like, truly, Colin is, like, so confident in himself. I don't know how he thinks that he can be high on cocaine and that no one is going to notice, especially if apparently Kelly already knows he's done it. Right. And, like, I don't know anything about cocaine other than it's white and powdery and you can put it in your nose. But, like, I I don't understand, like, how much you can take in a given time period. But for me, it felt like taking that entire vial of cocaine in, like, in like two days. Yeah. I was like, this feels like a lot. And he was going to the bathroom or another area a lot. Right? Like, it seemed like Kelly was kind of, like, trying to avoid it. Like, she yeah. makes a comment about how he's being real sniffly and she needs to take him home. And I was like, she knows. Mm. She knows something is up. And then I also wonder if Colin knows how many people in this group have had drug problems. And the idea that David could absolutely pick out that someone is on cocaine because David used to do meth. Like, I don't know. Maybe Kelly doesn't, like, go around and tell other people's business. But I honestly feel like if your boyfriend's doing uppers and your brother did a ton of uppers, like maybe that comes up. Right. And like, especially given the severity of it with David and how everybody was like, you know, brought into the situation eventually and all of that. It's like, you would think Kelly would be triggered by it. Right. And want to like keep calling away from it because it's a person that she loves. And also, Dylan getting in a car accident and ending up in a coma. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Also, Jackie. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> this is really unacceptable to do around Kelly. And, like, damn, Colin, especially his, like, well, you guys drink and I don't drink, so this is my thing. It's like, I'm sorry. I know plenty of people that just don't drink. Like, my husband does not drink. And... If he came to me and was like, you know, I really need a vice. Should I do cocaine? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I'm just picturing Nate, like, sitting on the couch. You're watching TV. You got your AirPods in. He's reading his Kindle and he just puts it down and says, I think I'm going to try cocaine. <laughs> I would be like, we need to get your head examined pronto, sir. Like, can you imagine also, because now I'm like, all right, I'm sitting on the couch. We're both sitting on the couch. I'm We're watching the Atlanta United game. I like take a you know drink of my beer or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's just got his Kindle on, the, on his hand, flips it over, dumps some cocaine on it, <laughs> does a line on his Kindle. <laughs> I love that we keep bringing the Kindle into it. Because it's his thing. <laughs> it's his thing. I feel like if Nate here's this conversation. He's going to be like, don't bring my Kindle into this. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how dare you? <laughs> that is my Kindle. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I just don't understand. Like, yeah, let me get something to equal drinking. Let's do hard drugs. It just is who, man. It's not the same thing, Colin. 
But he's, like, like, bouncing around like a fuse, like, telling this weird New York nativity story. Also, not a funny story. Like, I was very uncomfortable. And then Kelly's just like, I love New York. (laughs) Yeah. Classic New York. Mugging. so weird. And then the next day, when they're at that weird Tournament of Roses event with the snow, which, like... Mm. I, I am fascinated by the physics of this event, but that's beside the point. And he like – he goes to get hot chocolate and then very clearly walks past the hot chocolate to just like do coke behind a building. I was like, there's kids here. Your girlfriend probably has a pretty good line of sight to where you are. She also probably knows how long it takes to get hot chocolate. Yeah. And then when Steve hits him with the snowball and he just throws the hot chocolate on the ground, I was like – that is a choice that a sober person probably does not make. Well, and I was afraid he was going to get really mad. Same. <laughs> but no, it just starts a friendly little snowball fight. <laughs> and this is when Val takes her chance. <laughs> oh my God. Like she picks and chooses her opportunities and they always turn out perfect. <laughs> it's so great. Like Kelly is just standing there watching her friends and Val just like sneaks up behind her and is just like, Colin does drugs. Yeah. It was so great, though, because it was very similar to last episode when she's just like, mm hmm, mm hmm. Because Val's like, notice anything strange about your boyfriend lately? And she's like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> just deadpan, like, br- like, like, breathes out through her nose, like, no. <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> I just, like, that, like, whip fast reaction of, like, why did you give them to him? Oh, my God. I almost wish she would have said, yeah, you give it to him. Like, you know, something like, oh, that would have been great. I loved it. Like, and they just like, it's like a frenemy thing. Like, yeah. neither of them are actually offended by the other person doing this. Like, because if they were, like, it would be like, she who must not be named, she's not allowed with us. But like, mm-hmm. Kelly is just like, no, this is fun. And I can give it right back. I'm telling you, they're in love. They're actually in love. I love it so much. But like, okay, so this is the part where I feel like Kelly is finally the Kelly I want her to be because for some reason, Colin gets into the middle of the friend group in the booth. Like he doesn't even try and like stay on the outskirts so that he can like sneak off to the bathroom. But he has to like squeeze past people and Kelly just immediately gets up and follows him stands outside the bathroom and waits for him. And then when he gets out, she's just like, what were you doing in there? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, she's probably, like, sick of it. Like, she's probably like, dude, you're making it way too obvious, you know? Yeah. Well, and she says, like, wipe your face under your nose. That like, was, I just, like, mic drop moment. This is the, like, when we had, like, episode one and she was like, I'm not letting anybody, like, push me around anymore I'm a new Kelly like this is actually kind of old Kelly and I want this back yeah yeah 100% because she was just so confident and so sure that she was right which granted you know like I don't necessarily think she would have said anything had Val not confronted her but I also think if someone else had started to notice to Kelly then she would have done it like all it really took was Colin to get sloppy with it 
and someone mm-hmm. else to notice. Because yeah, then like at the at the at Christmas party or whatever, they go into the dining room and apparently Colin promised he wouldn't do this again. He's not good enough for her. I agree. Honestly, I was waiting for them to do the whole, like, just tell me you love me thing Mm. and, like, get over the fight. And I'm a little – I'm glad they didn't. But, like, yeah, he's not good enough for her. She needs to break up with him. Like, I'm also conflicted because, like, the whole thing is if you think someone has a drug problem, you shouldn't just, like, abandon them because loneliness is a whole thing. It's what we got so mad about with Dylan. Right. But, like – this feels like Colin is just like constantly sneaking around behind her back and then blows up when he thinks that she's doing it. So it's yeah. a bigger issue. Yeah, and it's like a pattern a little bit. Yeah. And she's just like, I can forgive you if you're telling me the truth, but don't lie to me. Like she basically is just straight up like, look, we had an agreement. We clearly had an arrangement, but you gotta, you can't lie to me or else that's it. And I do feel like that's a... That seems like the right personality trait for Kelly to have is like Mm -hmm. she can kind of get on board with a few things as long as somebody's being truthful about it, which is a little ironic because she's cheated so much. But I mean, so has everybody else. But it's just, you know what I'm saying? Well, and I think, you know, it's also proof of her character that like he had told her before they got to LA that he wasn't going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so she has felt very confident that he's not doing it again. And maybe even, you know, yeah, looked past his sniffly nose because, you know, this is his first winter not in New York. Maybe it really could have been allergies. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, when somebody else brings it up and like, even if Val said it, like Kelly is just like, well, damn it. Val actually usually knows what she's talking about because she's a right. nosy bee. Right. Like, yeah, she confronted him about it. Like, this is very in character for Kelly, and I love this for her. Yeah, agreed. I am also very nervous because I've been thinking a lot about Kelly's character recently. And like, as much as she wants to be this strong person and sometimes really is this strong person, she's also very easily swayed by things the cult very specifically the cult and also like her own kind of drug problem from when she wasn't eating and taking those diet pills that were just speed like Mm -hmm. unfortunately kelly can be really easily influenced by things and it makes me nervous that colin has lied to her and persistently done these things and maybe like he's just gonna keep doing it and Maybe Kelly's going to do it. Whew. We will find out. <laughs> I'm very nervous about it. But like, yeah, the cult. I feel so confident that our baby girl is just going to like fall into stupid, uh, dumb, bad artist Collins trap. <laughs> it also just was not that good of a portrait for $600. <laughs> It was Sorry. like somebody like needed to like try to freehand her um headshot. <laughs> like it was fine. It was, you know, pretty good. I just I guess when we're talking about like how prolific of an artist Colin is supposed to be, I haven't really seen it yet. <laughs> Sorry. 
I texted Ari yesterday, Caitlin, because you hadn't watched it yet. But um, I texted her. I was like, I need a video compilation of every time anyone says Colin's art is good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know like, what? Uh, we need that. I want two. I want one of everyone. And then I want one of just the women that he's sleeping with or want to sleep with him. Ooh. Versus like not. See if, like how short the other one yeah. is. <laughs> it's going to be like, these are all the women who are turned on by Colin that think his art is good. Here are all the people who aren't attracted to him and think his art <laughs> is good. And then it's just like one person. Oh my gosh. It's going to oh be just gosh. one random person at the mural unveiling, appreciating New York. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. That's a beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm very nervous for Kelly and I hate Colin. <laughs> I wish I could like remember and track all of my opinions on Colin so far, but not into him right now. I'm saying not very much because I know what happens. So I don't want to like spoil anything. Because like I'm telling you guys, my memory is horrible. But there are certain things that like are just ingrained in my mind. And something to do with the Kelly Collins storyline has stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, like knowing Frush is Steve's dad. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> or at least I forgot that it was happening now. Like... <clears throat> That's why, like, a little while ago, I was like, do we know who Steve's dad is? Like, <laughs> not because I didn't know who it was. It's like, have we introduced this yet? Because I didn't want to say anything wrong. Like, I've known that for as long as I've watched the show. But I couldn't remember if we'd already watched it. <laughs> so, I can't remember if it was, like... A listener or something but I feel like someone commented on something because we had mentioned at one point that Steve's hair is very similar yes. to Rush's hair like in texture yeah yeah, yeah. So. they were like Rush is the perfect casting for Steve's dad and they were like and you'll see why <laughs> well now I see why thank you right? <laughs> I want to say it was an Instagram comment so I feel like we can go back and find it I think we could. I mean, technically, we could go back through all of our correspondence, but that's a lot of work. That's true. That's true. All right. Let's wrap this thing up with one final piece of information. Speaking of work, <laughs> Joe gives Donna a bird. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Yeah. Wild how this works. Like, Literally from the beginning, this was the most bizarre thing. Like, Donna decides to break into this giant present and it's snakes. Okay, that was hilarious, though. That was so cute with uh, Jenny and um, Tori. Just like, first of all, like, I don't know if you guys caught this, but <laughs> we should have known a scare or a prank was coming because, like, as soon as Kelly walks in, Donna doesn't hear her and she's just, like, messing with the bow. And Kelly's just like, Donna, she goes, huh? Like, she's, like, scared. <laughs> it cracked me up. I rewound it a couple of times because it made me laugh. I just really love when Kelly, like, picks up one of the snakes and just, like, shoves it in Donna's face. Mm-hmm. It's cute. And, like, you still get – because I know Jenny and Tori are still, like, really close in real life now. So I just love seeing those little, like, cutesy, not fully in character, but really it's them moments, especially between them. Yeah, because – 
The Donna and Joe relationship this episode is really weird. It's like all of a sudden they found out they both haven't had sex and now they're an old married couple. Well, but they're like kind of being like a little sexy with each other, but like not like Joe tells Donna that she can't have her real present because she literally just broke into her fake present. And then he's like, and I'm going to call Santa because you've been a bad girl. But it's like, I don't actually think he intends it that way. <laughs> I don't think so. But like everything he says has sexual undertones. And I think they're just like naive little virgins who don't understand that talking about being shaved and then not saying what part of you got <laughs> shaved is a weird thing to say. Well, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Again, it's like that Taylor Tomlinson stand up that I told you guys about where it's like you tell a girl that like, oh, you want to take it slow. She's like, Charlie, you've won. Like, <laughs> it, oh, my God. Everything we hear is sex. What if Donna's present was a dick in a box? Oh, my God. What if that was his original plan? It is interactive. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the writing team really went there with the innuendos this week. Yeah. Yeah. Like They definitely on, did. They, they rose to every occasion. No pun intended. <laughs> no, pun very much intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, it's like they somehow take you know, Santa naughty and make it naughty. And I do like as, as weird as it was between them, I do love that Joe knows that Donna like likes to get into her presence and likes to know what they are and ruin the surprise. So he's like actively like working toward not, you know, revealing what her present is. I feel like, mm -hmm. again, that's more breadcrumbs about the relationship that I actually really like. I will say I did really like when they're at the event, because he, like, calls her at the moment of her birthday, which is, like, 3 o'clock in the morning on Christmas, to mm -hmm. say Merry Christmas to her. And at first I was like, why can't he spend the night with her? Like, they know they're not going to do anything. But then this is when we reveal that he bought her a bird. I was like, oh, he needs to, like, keep the bird alive. Okay. But then when they're at the event later and she's trying to get – hints and she's like well you can't give it to me here because it'll freeze and he was like I don't know maybe and she's like you're gonna give me something that could freeze <laughs> I'm like Donna what if it was like a really like well done like dessert of some sort you know like what it, like what if he's trying to use the word freeze but not as in like because it's bitter cold outside but more like in a freezer I just like it was so Weird and technically true because a bird should not be out in the cold like that if they're a parrot. Oh my lord! And then he Isn't does it an African gray. <laughs> it's just so weird because he does bring the present over, and he keeps talking like this. This kind of goes back to when it was his birthday, and he was like, "Oh well, the thought that." The thought is what counts. And since I know it came from you, like, I know that thought was amazing. This is where Joe is like, remember how it's the thought that counts? <laughs> Dude, Donna got him Steve Young for his birthday. And he got her responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. He got her damn bird loves Donna. <laughs> I'm just saying that bird and Rocky, too, are going to get along great <laughs> wherever they are. 
Man, no wonder Felice and Donna don't get along. Donna keeps just pawning her pets off to her. <laughs> she's like, stop picking up animals. Right? I mean, I I've, guess it is the thought that counts, but like, I'm just going to say it on record where this is recorded and put out in the universe. No one ever get me a bird. Like, I don't want it. I'm not a fan of birds. I got really scared by a bird that got trapped in my house when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I do not like, I mean, I'm not like scared of them anymore. I just really don't like them. Like, I don't find them cute or entertaining. I'm like, okay, you have talons. Like, why would I want to hold something that has talons? It doesn't like to be pet. Sure, if it's a parrot, it might say things. But like, if it was like a macaw type parrot, those things outlive you. Well, and that's the thing is like, they get depressed when you're not around. Like, you know, Sorry, sometimes just I get, don't give me a bird, man. No, like sometimes I get sad when my cats like could not care less that I'm not home. Mm-hmm. But that's probably a good thing because they're not like one of them is very needy, but they're not all very needy. Right. Right. No, the amount of guilt that I feel every time we have to leave Noodle is unreal. But like, I I just don't I don't want a bird. And I'm sorry if there are bird lovers out there, if I've offended you at all. If you love a bird, I'm glad you do. And I, I, I love hope that those for birds you. love you, but I am not a bird gal. I Right? I'm a cat person. You're a dog person. People out there are bird people. Totally it's fine. It's not me. Just don't convert me because it's – It's not going to happen. We are not Kelly. We will not be so easily swayed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I love Kelly. But Seriously, she loves though. it. That's in. That's the end. Yeah. They decide to call it cutie pie or CP for short, but it doesn't matter because we will never be, never see CP again. Nah. Like, if we do, I will say something nice about Colin. Ooh. Now that's also that- recorded and put out in the inter- in the universe on the internet. Colin has brown hair. <laughs> Is that nice? <laughs> Colin's brown hair is very tightly styled. <laughs> it does that swoop thing that all the boys did when we were in elementary school. Yep. Colin snorts his coke like a champ. <laughs> he looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Real good at sniffling. 10 out of 10. <laughs> so yeah. Oh man. We did it. We did it. That was Christmas. Also, Angels we have heard on high. Oh, my God. They did it. I got it, like, at the end of the episode when I was writing the title in my notes. And I was like, well, damn. Well, and the angel pen, right? Like, mm. Like, this is one of those ones where it seems like they came up with the episode title and then they were like, what do we do with this? We already (laughs) did angels for real. So, like, we got to do something new. It's very, like throw the dart at the dartboard (laughs) it is though it's like yeah it's literally like all right we got a bunch of titles all right let's pick this one now let's break it let's go (laughs) okay so quote of the week i gotta go home is where your father is mary okay so i wrote down stupid shit as usual (laughs) (laughs) the first little um innuendo of the episode Brandon, honey, are you up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cindy Walsh said that, by the way. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, no, I did write down Joe's Joe saying, you've been a bad girl, and I thought it was my obligation to call Santa and let him know. And then I wrote, someone get this data child. <laughs> I don't know. Donna guessing her president is a virtual whale. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love those, and I'm entertained by those. Um, but yeah, my quote of the week is definitely home is where your father is, because that is one of the most romantic things you can say to a person, in my opinion. I love it. Mary, what was your moment this week? Um, <clears throat> God, I had a couple. I'm kind of going to just list where I wrote <laughs> my funniest notes because those are usually my moments of the week. Um, but Burrito Susan, yes. for sure, yes. is the contender. Wow, I thought I had more, but apparently not. Um, so... In that moment where Colin was talking to Kelly about, so he's like telling the truth because it's Christmas and my mind immediately went to love actually. So mm. I wrote down, it's Christmas and at Christmas you tell the truth. To me, you are cocaine. <laughs> That's awesome. So okay. me imagining Colin holding up cue cards that say all of this is moment of the week number two to me you're okay caitlin what is next week's episode oh right i for totally forgot that's what i do um so next week after a brief holiday hiatus we are on to season six episode 16 turn back the clock Interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was like a Christmas break. There's like a little one. It's only two weeks. So okay. this episode that we've just talked about aired on December 20th, 1995. And the episode that we'll be talking about next week aired on January 3rd, 1996. My only real guess that I can come up with based on that title would be like Steve and Rush want to like turn back the clock and start over on their relationship. Mm-hmm. Just probably asking a lot. I think that's a good guess. I don't know. We'll have to find out next week. Yeah, we will. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back to Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email if you want to with any of your thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns at Back to Podcast at gmail.com. That's B A C K T O Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All those things really help us build our community, give you a better product. And if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out because we really appreciate that. So until 1996, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I have to sneak out before your mom gets home. I'm an orange and a couple of walnuts in the stocking. And I'm your dad. Merry Christmas. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs>